It's the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, the most important story. Out here in Colorado, we had a sex education bill that was passed. It was signed by the governor and put into law. I just can't believe what is happening to uh, public education. The latest in politics and world affairs. We are now using policy that if you don't affirm something, that they use policy then to take away your businesses. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Kids are just being bombarded with darkness. It's the AmeriChicks, dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. You know, we need to get back to letting our kids be kids. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Leslie, guess what today is. It's hump day. Woo-hoo! Indeed, it is hump day, but it's actually, it is 9-11, and uh, uh, I, I feel all kinds of emotions today. Uh, my name is Kim Munson, and uh, we look at these issues and have conversations about important things, try to look at them as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, and uh, agree or disagree. Uh, we need to have conversations about these things, uh, but uh, when we agree or disagree, I hope that we are, are always having our eye on the ball, that we are looking towards freedom, and uh, since 9-11... Uh, 2001, uh, over the last 18 years, there's been, I think, a real assault on the American ideal. Uh, We certainly saw the physical attacks uh, 18 years ago on this day. I think we all probably know where we were at that particular point in time. Um, But we've seen a continual assault on this American idea, and that is why we need to engage in this battle of ideas. Sometimes I think it's it's as tragic as it is. It's almost easier when you have a a physical enemy, uh, when we have this battle of ideas, uh, it's really important that, that we not get lazy on that. So welcome. I am Kim Munson, and uh, we uh, talk about freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And since uh, 2001, we have seen a continual kind of romancing moving us towards socialism. Socialism ultimately comes down to force. And if something is a great idea, it seems like you would not have to force somebody to do that. Uh, so first of all, I want to say good morning to you, uh, Producer Steve. Appreciate you. Appreciate the team, Zach, Patty, Keith, and Charlie. Uh, how are you doing on this 9-11? Well, as anybody who's been listening for, you know, for the last hour or two, uh, our good friend Charlie, the guy who basically drives KLZ, loaded all kinds of uh, excellent remembrances of 9-11 and some you know actual recordings of radio transmissions between uh, you know the, the first responders and it just takes you back makes me think of what i was doing the first time i heard i was <laughs> sitting in traffic on i-25 what a surprise but uh the first report was uh, a plane hit the world trade center and in my imagination, in my mind was, well, it was like a little Cessna that, you know, bounced off the side of the building and there might be, you know, a death or two or something like that. But uh, the magnitude quickly became apparent. And uh, again, everything I heard this morning and all these testimonials and stuff just takes you back and makes you think how empty you felt. Well, and, you know, um, Patty and I were talking yesterday and she mentioned Tom Bieber. You know, he was a... A young father who was on United Airlines Flight 93, which was hijacked on September 11th. And he was one of the passengers who attempted to regain control of the aircraft from the hijackers. And during the struggle, the aircraft lost control and crashed into a field in Stony Creek Township near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And it saved 
saved all those in the intended target, which they think was probably the uh, United States Capitol. And uh, there's something inherently in a, uh, American about that. You know, initially people didn't understand what was going on. So on those first two planes that hit the World Trade Center, I mean, it was beyond belief what actually happened there. But once Americans understood what was going on, they, they sprang into action. And that is something that Americans do. Whenever they see tyranny, whenever they see evil, once they realize it, they stand up and, and they, they start to fight it. And that's what we do every day here because there's a, a great evil that I think is trying to, to bring our country down. And Steve, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday about the blessings of the mundane, the blessings of you feed the dog, you, you get the kids ready for school, you, you know, just the, the everyday you know, kind of grind that we take that for granted. And uh, that morning on 9-11, everybody got up. They were doing just their normal grind, getting on the airplane, traveling where they needed to go, go to work. And then all of a sudden the world changed for many, many people. In fact, um, one of the, um, the guys that I had interviewed for the World War II project, he was, he was a Tuskegee Airman, second generation, uh, and uh, he lost his daughter in the World Trade Center. It changes your life. And every day when we get up, we have to say thank you. We have to be grateful for the blessings of the mundane. And here we have, um, we have you know, these young congresswomen that continue to tear down America. When they're called on the carpet about it, then they say they, they uh, love America. But their actions speak you know, much greater than their words do. And that is, I think, that that's the litmus test that we have to start to look at with these politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties. You know, what are their actions? They can say one thing, but we need to start to make sure that we look at their actions. And we really try not to be, you know, pretty snarky about some of the things going on with the politicians. I think the snarkiest thing that I've, I've done recently was when Gov- Governor Polis, uh, with this whole Air Quality Control Council, he packed it with 24 people, uh, all that he would choose. And kings do that, not elected officials. And uh, so I did give him the moniker of King Polis because he's acting like that. But, you know, we, we really will work to stay looking at the issues. And so the issue is, is that actually you have an unelected council, which is antithetical to the American idea of representative government. And then you would pack that with 24 people that then you hide behind the decisions of the council when in essence you're controlling the council. And uh, this has been a long time in coming. We're seeing this play out in Colorado, but this administrative state has been a long time in coming and my, my friends, we need to start to understand what is going on, and we need to push back on that. So that means that we watch what's happening at our school boards, at our city councils, our town councils, at our, our county commissioner meetings. Uh, we need to watch what is going on uh, because um, that is the way that we are moving towards socialization in our country is moving away from representative government and moving towards administrative government. Steve, you got a thought? I guess I go back to a more romanticized period in our history. Of the you know, obviously I was very young in the fifties, but I, you know, let's let's take the fifties or the late forties after World War II, and people were more engaged at at many different levels. Uh, even the most common or PTA PTO uh, of watching what was going on right there in your local area with the schools and whatnot. And I can't help thinking that we basically separated ourselves from that and our degree of involvement our degree of awareness is is so minimal uh 
And it's, it's really starting to hurt. It is really starting to hurt us. Uh, we're going to go to break here in just a little bit. Uh, probably the headline that I would like to get to, and this is from the New York Post, that Robert Mueller, you know, famous Robert Mueller of the Mueller Report, uh, he actually helped Saudi Arabia cover up its role in the 9-11 attacks. After a lengthy investigation, special counsel Robert Mueller charged Russia made multiple systematic efforts to interfere in our election and said the incursion deserves the attention of every American. But former FBI investigators say their old boss didn't feel the same concern when they uncovered multiple systemic efforts by the Saudi government to assist the hijackers in the lead-up to the 9-11 attacks, which is far more consequential to say nothing of deadly foreign influence operation in America. As the head of the FBI at that time, they say Mueller was not nearly as interested in investigating that espionage conspiracy, which also involved foreign intelligence officers. Far from it, the record shows that he covered up evidence pointing back to the Saudi embassy in Riyadh and may have even misled Congress about what he knew. 9-11 victims agree he was the master when it came to covering up the kingdom's role in 9-11, said survivor Sharon Primoli, who was pulled from the rubble of the World Trade Center 18 years ago. In October of 2001, Mueller shut down the government's investigation after only three weeks, and then took part in the Bush administration's campaign to block, obfuscate, and generally stop anything about Saudi Arabia from being released, added Primoli, now a plaintiff in the 9-11 lawsuit against Saudi Arabia. In fact, Mueller threw up roadblocks in the path of his own investigation investigators working the 9-11 case while making it easier for Saudi <clears throat> uh, suspects to escape questioning, multiple case agents told me. Then he deep-sixed what evidence his agents did manage to uncover, according to the 9-11 lawsuit against the Saudis. Now, if you want to see the rest of the uh, – read the rest of that article, go to the com. But Robert Mueller, <clears throat> when we talk about this whole deep state thing, you know, he seems to have his p- fingerprints on a whole lot of different things. And it does not seem that he actually has worked to find the truth. And the Trump investigation – into the Russian investigation took over two years <clears throat> and found no conclusion or no, um, um, oh, you know, um, conspiracy, if you will. And yet it took two years and millions and millions of, of uh, taxpayer dollars. And uh, I, I've got to say, thank goodness for Donald Trump, because all of these <clears throat> folks were, were in this together. And uh, the job of government is to protect the rights uh, here in America, the job of the government is to protect the rights of every individual to go after their life, their liberty, and their pursuit of happiness. And you cannot be going after your pursuit of happiness when you've got enemies that are trying to tear down this country. And so each of you have a responsibility each and every day to engage in this battle of ideas, to engage in conversations with your friends and your family and your colleagues. Now, one other thing to be engaging in a conversation is is one is to stop the spigot of the money. And that is what Tabor has helped to do, is to provide transparency and to say to PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, if you want to raise our taxes, if you want to incur debt that we're going to have to pay off, or if you want to keep our tax refunds above, we'll give you a generous formula of population plus inflation growth, you have to ask us. Proposition CC is going to be on this ballot this November, and that is asking to, us to give up our tax refunds forever without ever the, these PBIs ever having to ask us. And then it looks like there will be an all-out assault from both sides of the aisle in 2020 on TABOR, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. 
So we as Coloradans need to stand strong on that. We're going to go to break. Uh, When we come back, we'll be talking with Scott Weiser. He is uh, with Complete Colorado. And if you want to stay informed on what's going on, go to Complete Colorado every day. They update it three times a day. They aggregate news from all over the state. And then if you click on that banner ad, Steve, you now know that, that if you click on that banner ad, at the top, it'll bring you to original content. And Scott Weiser has uncovered something down in Alamosa and the teachers' union that looks like they may be um, not even uh, uh, honoring a recent Supreme Court decision. And so when we come back, we'll be talking with Scott Weiser. At Hooters, you can watch the games with all your buddies. And when your buddies are the world-famous Hooters girls, there's always plenty of ice-cold beer and those craveable wings that'll knock your taste buds into next Tuesday. Hooters girls know plenty about football, but we really know the fans who live for it. So hang out with all your buddies all season long at Hooters, your official hangout for game day. Catch all the games at Hooters and enjoy a butter Bud Light draft with 10 boneless wings, just $10. Dine for two with the pitcher and nachos, just $20. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GER, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with Remax Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September? Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson. It is 9-11. We all remember where we were at that particular point in time. Uh, We are having a conversation about important ideas, looking at these as freedom versus force, force versus freedom have on the line Scott Weiser. He is an excellent um, writer for the Complete Colorado, and he did a very important piece. It was published on September 8th about Alamosa. It says, Alamosa School District's union agreement criticized as contrary to the Supreme Court's Janus decision. So, Scott Weiser, welcome. It's great to have you here. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm well. And, Scott, you do amazing work. Uh, you, you remind me of the the old-time reporters, that you want to get to the facts on things and, and report what is really going on. So thank you for your good work. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. So let's talk about this recent piece that you published about Alamosa. What's going on down there? Well, um, Colorado is, um, uh, as far as public employees is concerned, they're, they're a right-to-work state. Um, this is not true of Colorado when it comes to uh, private unions, but for public employees, especially teachers, uh, you can't be required to join the union. And um, prior to last year, there was a ruling in the Supreme Court from 1977 called Abood. Uh, And in that ruling, the Supreme Court said that unions could deduct from employees' paychecks what they call agency fees, 
which was a fair share in Colorado was called a fair share agreement that required non-union employees to pay a certain amount uh, to compensate the union for uh, their negotiations and, and other expenses associated with the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, this was justified uh, under the idea that that even though the people didn't want to be part of the union because they were benefiting from the union's negotiations, that they should pay something towards that. Uh, in, in, in 2018, the uh, United States Supreme Court said that, that this is wrong, and, and it said that extracting agency fees from a public employee without their express consent violates their First Amendment uh, right to freedom of speech. And Alamosa seems to be the, the last outlier in Colorado that is still the the, the, bar, the bargaining agreement that they have with the Alamosa School District. This would be the Alamosa Education Association. Says that that the district shall withhold these fees from all employees, but that non-union employees can opt out of this by filing a form uh, with. Uh, that the union provides and filing this form with the school district each year saying, I don't want to pay these fees. Now, this, this seems fairly reasonable, except that uh, the Janus ruling explicitly says that no fees can be ex- you know, taken from a non-union member without their express affirmative consent. And the real problem lies in that uh, the school district seems to be holding the position that a non-union employee of the school district has to file this form every single year in a 10-day period mm-hmm. from uh, September 10th to September 20th. Um, aside from the fact that they shouldn't have to file the form at all, right? Uh, the the problem is, is that this restrictive 10-day window in the past, before the Janus ruling, districts in Colorado that have teachers union, and there aren't all that many of them anymore, uh, if you miss that deadline by even a day, they would take the money out of your check for that year saying, nope, you missed the window. And that kind of begs the question of, you know, why a person shouldn't be able to say at any time, hey, I don't want you to take this fee. Exactly. You know, and, and Scott, as we look at these issues, freedom versus force, if in fact the union is providing a, a value and a, some, a teacher, you know, figures out that they think that that's a value and they they can choose to be a member of the union. But here we see force written all over this. And uh, so what do you, you think is going to happen down in Alamosa? We're not sure. If, I'm not sure if, if this is simply sloppy drafting of the, of the uh, collective bargaining or whether uh, they intended to do this. It's it's really unclear. And uh, at this point, I don't know uh, who, if anyone, is interested in in addressing this. Uh, the only recourse that they really have is to file a lawsuit um, because if you're not part of the union, you can't. 
you know, you don't have a choice. You don't get to vote on anything. So the only recourse left is to sue. And, and I haven't uh, been made aware of anybody that is willing to go down that road. Well, the other thing is, is the people down in Alamosa need to be electing people to the school board that represent the citizens. And, uh, you know, what we've seen is uh, teachers unions have actually been out and um, effectively trying to get school board members elected that then they can uh, work together to put forward these kinds of things. So, Scott, will you keep us informed on that? I would greatly appreciate it. I'll try to keep an eye out for that as well. But let us know what happens with this. I sure will. This is excellent. And uh, Scott Weiser, thank you so much. And this is at the Complete Colorado. And uh, click on that banner ad at the top, and that'll take you to the excellent articles that they have there. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. We're going to go to break in a little bit. Steve, just a quick thing. I think you said you had a couple of thoughts uh, on this 9-11. I went in and, uh, you know, unfortunately, I didn't, until you had mentioned it, the Robert Mueller thing and investigating the Saudis, I read through it in the last couple minutes, and it is absolutely sickening to see. And I would encourage anybody listening to go out on your search search engine, and I won't say necessarily Google, but Robert Mueller, Saudi cover-up, and read that article. It makes your stomach turn. Well, and it's in the New York Post. You know, the other thing is, is remember when we had Cheryl Atkinson on, and we realized, uh, she realized that she was being spied on by the FBI and the Department of Justice. And I asked her, and when I, I asked her about this, I said, you were at your computer, I heard this, and that your cursor was working, but, you know, moving around on your screen, but you were not touching it. She said, that's exactly true. And I said, did this spying occur under James Comey? And she said, well, yes, but it actually started under the previous FBI director. I said, who was that? It was Robert Mueller. And you got to ask yourself, in this particular situation, what was his motivation? And obviously, you know, the only thing I can think of right off the top of my head is we know the Saudis have deep pockets. So was there money being funneled his way it, it's so hard to know but you know what steve i think that i think that we're going to find out the truth but it will be very important that uh that donald trump get reelected because he is he is ripping off the uh you know uh the 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 uh what should we say? I think it's like the onion. He's peeling back the onion on all of this stuff that's been going on. And so we are going to see a real concerted effort that he not be reelected. But if he is, I think they're actually going to find out the truth on all this. So, But uh, we're going to talk to Bill Roth, a very interesting conversation in the third and fourth segment about the U.S. steel industry. Before we do that, though, Jason McBride, it's great to have you here. How are you doing this 9-11? Oh, I'm doing uh, very, very good, Kim. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a somber day. It is a somber day. But uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about, I think, some good news that people need to be aware of. We talked to, you were in yesterday as my co-host. We were talking about unemployment numbers, and you gave me a really interesting graph here about U3, U6 unemployment numbers. So, you know, tell, tell our listeners about that. Well, the U3 uh, unemployment number is the official report that gets reported by the government. Uh, But, uh, you know, when politicians are running for office, or usually uh, politicians that are in office uh, that are not politicians of the party that has the presidency, will always talk about, but that's not the real uh, unemployment unemployment rate, Kim. They'll say that the U6 is the real one. Uh, now, the, here's the difference. The, the U3 includes 
uh, people that are kind of in the labor force, considered in the labor force, but still unemployed. Uh, but it doesn't include people that are discouraged, like they tried to get a job and after 12 months they gave up. Uh, it, it doesn't include people that aren't really actively seeking a job anymore. They kind of fall off the face of the earth as far as the official unemployment rate goes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So here's what's interesting. Uh, the U3 unemployment, or the, quote, official number in uh, November 2016 when Trump got elected was 4.7%. Now it's 3.7%. That, that's good. That's about a 21% decrease in unemployment. But you'll always have uh, the other side kind of kiping and saying, well, that's not the real picture. You need to look at the U6 because it's much, much worse. Uh, I was watching a show the other day, and uh, you know, a couple of people were debating that. And, of course, the lefty kept saying, but you need to look at the U6. Well, I think they better stop talking about that. Because the U6, Kim, when Trump got elected, was 9.4%, and right now it's 7.2%. And I think what's significant about that is the U6 number has dropped almost 23.5% during the same time, uh, that the U3 dropped about 21 So what that tells us is that uh, the economy is good enough that Trump has actually been able to drag some of those people that were so discouraged they were completely out of the labor force, not only back into the labor force uh, participation pool, but they actually have jobs now. No, and that's amazing. And, you know, we talk a lot about being compassionate. And I think the most compassionate thing that one that can happen from one man to another, one person to another, is to give them a job, the dignity of work. And so the fact that, and I think you said yesterday there was over 6 million, maybe almost 6.7 million jobs created in the private sector since Trump has gotten elected. That changes people's lives, and it changes their lives for the better, Jason. Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, people that are working are much happier and, uh, you know, of course, more productive than people that aren't. Well, that's for sure. And, um, you know, since it's such a somber day, I kind of um, didn't do the normal things that I do in the first segment. But you and I are doing a really great event on uh, next Monday, on September 16th. It's uh, Nuts and Bolts, and it's going to be a really fun evening. We have these important conversations every morning. And so, Jason, I, I would really like to encourage people to join us because I think it's going to be special. You're bringing in Jeff Hirsch from New York, and it's going to be a really fun evening. And so you can go to my website, americhicks.com, to sign up or also at chickspresidential.com. But all kinds of great um, information. And the fact that this U6 number is down 23.5%, that is really monumental. Well, you know, Ocasio-Cortez says that Trump's unemployment rate is so low because everyone has two jobs. You remember that, I do remember that. Well, that's great. I mean, if the economy's so good that there's two jobs for everybody instead of just one, (laughs) we must be doing even better than we thought. That's for sure. That's for sure. And yesterday when you were in, we got to talk to uh, Kevin Sorbo. Oh, yeah. So I wasn't going to... 
uh, mention this on the air. I was just telling you, but I thought it was funny. Uh, He said they couldn't pigeonhole his movie. You know, he was getting awards for best comedy, best narrative, best family movie. Uh, I was going to tell him he should have got an award for inclusiveness (laughs) on his movie as well, because it's obviously genre fluid. That's for sure. So, hey, Jason, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk with uh, Bill Roth. You made that connection for us about the uh, steel industry. uh, And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks. And we'll be right back and we'll uh, talk with Bill Roth. This is Kim Munson. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. In Fort Collins, attend Vino and Veritas at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland, Presidential Wealth Management Greenwood Village, Tina Francone with Straightforward Shooting, and Grand Lake U.S. Constitution Week for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do, as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back. I'm Kim Munson, and let's have a conversation. I'm thrilled to have in studio with me Bill Roth. We're going to have a conversation about steel. Bill Roth has been involved in the steel industry for... A long time, and so he seemed like the person to talk to about the U.S. steel industry. So, Bill Roth, welcome. Thank you. So, how long have you been in the steel industry? I was in it 42 years. So, that's a little while. You've seen a lot. Seen a lot. How did you get into the steel business? I was in the liquor wholesale business in Kansas City and was approached by a steel company that was moving to Denver, and they wanted to know if I wanted to be a part of it. And I went to work in outside sales forum here. And American Steel, I, I remember, and we're doing quotes today from Andrew Carnegie, who was, uh, you know, a great steel man, if you will. Uh, but American Steel has really built the West, hasn't it? Yes, it has. There's two things that I think people don't realize. If you ask the average person, they'll tell you that Most of the steel comes from Japan, China, places like that. 
80 to 90 percent of it is produced right here in America. Well, I like that. And uh, Bill, correct me. I'm, just a question on this. is My understanding was after World War II that we actually helped rebuild like the steel industry in, in Germany and in Japan. Is, is that true? Yes. Okay. So we went out and actually, I mean, since when does somebody that actually won a war then go out and help their enemies rebuild? I mean, isn't that something? Every country we've had a war with, we've gone back and rebuilt them and helped them. We didn't dominate them. But steel is a common product in every, all over the world. It's the most recycled product in the world. 80 to 90 percent of steel is recycled. How do they do that? They have cars. Okay. And do they melt they, it down? Is they, that what happens? It goes through a shredder, shreds it in the size of my fist, goes into a, uh, uh, a ladle, 100 to 125 tons, and they used to shovel coal, and it was a mess, and it was dirty. You can eat off the floor of the new modern mills. They use electric probes and lower them into the ladle, and it starts a melting process. It takes about 30 minutes, and then they add chemicals to it, to just like a recipe, to make it become what they want it to be. Okay. It seems like somebody told me recently that the old steel mills, there was, you know, things that were belching up into the air. Has that changed? Uh, Completely. Because, again, it's done with electricity. It's not throwing cold in a furnace and heating it up. So it's done, and it's done much faster. We We have the most modern technology in the world here in America. Okay, what about the competition from uh, other countries? Uh, are we bringing in a lot of that into the U.S., or what's that look like? What happens is on the east and west coast in the Houston area, there is imported steel that comes in. A lot of it, though, the prices are subsidized by the countries. So it makes it hard for the Americans to compete. But because we've got such modern technology, it doesn't take that many people to run a mill. We can make steel that's plenty competitive. If you bought a beam in Houston, Texas, and put it on a truck and brought it up here, it'll cost 10 cents, 9 cents a pound to get it up here. If you make it in Blytheville, Arkansas, if you make it in Jewett, Texas, you make it in Plymouth, Utah, it's only got a little bit of freight to get it here, depending on the product, angles and flats, beams, plate. We have the most modern tube processor in America sitting right seven miles south of Cheyenne, searing metals. And they uh, don't have probably 50 people in that facility and again they're manufacturing after it's been made rolled in the plates rolled into coils and they bring the coils in on rail cars and then they're decoiled and it goes through a process but it's so efficient and clean and plus it's a much superior product efficient clean and it's a superior product and then i think you also said that a lot of this is recycled all recycled yeah now again tubing mills, uh, tubing manufacturers, what they're actually called. They're taking a product that's already made, making it. But you go to Blytheville, Arkansas, 
uh, Nucor has a huge beam mill there, and they start out with raw scrap. A lot of it's shipped down on barges up and down the Mississippi. Okay. What about originally making steel? That comes from iron, right? Uh, iron ore. Uh, yeah. Iron ore. So tell me about and, – and the reason I'm asking you these questions, Bill, is because – I think a lot of people haven't ever really understood the, the whole steel industry and what happens exactly. So, like Andrew Carnegie, he, he became one of the wealthiest people in America. He built a steel company, and then he certainly was a, a, um, a, 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 a very philanthropic. I remember the little town where I grew up, there was a Carnegie library, and he built libraries throughout the country so that kids could learn to read. And he was an immigrant. He started working young, uh, and he became very wealthy because he created a product that people people wanted. But t- talk about, you know, steel, how, you know, how it originally is, uh, is made from iron ore. Again, mostly scrap. It's shredded down to small pieces. It's put in a big ladle, and then there's uh, huge electrodes probably a foot in diameter, three or four of them, and they just start lowering it into that ladle, and it's, it's, it's like shorting out electricity, and it just turns that, starts turning it red hot, then melts it. And so the, I think what I'm hearing you say is the majority then of steel in the United States now is just all from recycled products. Yes, 80, 90%. Okay. It took me a while to get that bill, but I finally, yeah. I think I finally no. got that. You, you take, uh, people think we recycle a lot of aluminum. We really don't. Steel is the one thing that's recycled more than anything else. And uh, uh, what does that look like exactly? I mean, you know, where does the steel come from that's recycled? Primarily automobiles? All, all, automobiles, anything they can grind up. You go by the junkyards, they're all over America, and you'll see piles of scrap. And what they'll do is hang on to it as long as they can to get, it's nothing, steel is nothing more than corn, and it's just a commodity. So they try to get two, three cents more a pound for it when they sell it to the mills. They even go as far as some of the mills, they use so much electricity with these probes that they will make deals with the electric company to maybe work from 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning melting steel because, again, they'll get a cut rate on the electricity. That's probably the highest. I'm not, for, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. That's probably the most expensive part of running the mill is the electric bill. I would have thought it was labor, but you said that uh, there's not that many people that's involved in that anymore. Uh, they, uh, there's one tube mill right north of Detroit that has probably three people on computers that are guiding the plate through the process of making a piece of tubing. And uh, they may have 50 other people working along the line, so if a motor stops, a roller goes bad, something happens, they can jump in and replace it. You go to a beam mill, like, again, down in Blytheville, Arkansas, they literally have another mill sitting in supply because when something breaks, the mill shuts down. So they have most of the pieces so they can repair uh, whatever breaks down and keep that mill running. 
You also said, Bill Roth, and you've been in the industry or recently retired, but in the steel industry for over 40 years, that there's a difference in quality by some of the imports that are coming in. How do you explain that? It, it's just that we're so efficient at our the way we make steel. And I'm not going to mention countries, but there are countries that have brought horrible steel into America, and most of the distributors don't want to do business with them. And is there a way to check that quality before oh, yeah. you start yeah, to build it? Then they start to build a building, and you take a piece of tubing, and you weld a base plate on it, and the heat of welding that plate on the seam where it's put together starts splitting open, things like that. Okay. You know, we're going to go to break here in just a minute, but today is 9-11. And, of course, uh, back in 2001 was when the uh, World Trade Center towers were hit. And it was pretty remarkable to me that those buildings did not fall over, topple over onto some of the other buildings there that, in fact, um, I've always heard that there was uh, something rather remarkable about the steel in those towers. Is, is that possibly true? I don't know. I really don't. I know the, that years ago, back in the 90s, whenever they had the earthquakes out in San Francisco, they always used what was called a grade 50, which was a harder steel. What they realized from the bridges falling down is if you used a regular A36 steel, it would bend and fall. It wouldn't just break. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, let's go to break. This is Kim Munson. I'm having a conversation with Bill Roth. He's been in the U.S. steel industry for over 40 years. And with all the the comments about steel in the uh, headlines, we thought it'd be good to have a conversation about it. So we will be right back. This week at the 88 Drive-In, keep your windows rolled up and your vehicles locked because things are about to get creepy. Friday the 6th through Thursday the 12th, see three scary movies for $9. It, It Chapter 2, and Scary Stories. Monday through Thursday, get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot along with two 16-ounce sodas, all for only $12. Plus, new this week, sip on some hot apple cider along with a sweet, crunchy churro. We're open seven days a week so get directions now on the 88 drive-in facebook page or 88drivein.net social media is important to the americhicks since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends for those of you who enjoy listening to the show we'd love to hear what's on your radar follow us and talk to us at americhicks twitter and facebook pages Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the AmeriChicks radio show. Contact us at AmeriChicks.com or email Kim at AmeriChicks.com. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I'm Kim Munson, and we are having a conversation with Bill Roth. Bill Roth was in the uh, steel industry for over 42 years, and we're learning a bit about American steel. And uh, so it's great to have you in studio, Bill. Thank you. Now, we were talking about how much steel is recycled. And producer Steve, while we were at break, you came up with a very interesting tidbit of information. Well, today being 9-11, as you would expect, there's all kinds of cool things out there on the Internet, uh, namely Facebook is where I saw this one. But 
B. Navy ship USS New York has seven and a half tons of recycled steel recycled from the Trade Center in the hull, mostly uh, around the bow section. Wow, did you know that, Bill? Uh, no, I didn't. Well, that's a great tidbit of uh, information. And again, I had no idea that all this steel was being uh, recycled. Let's let's talk a bit more, though, about the, the process on this bill. Um, because the being, fabrication. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole thing, yeah. Bringing in the rail, on the rail cars and all. Well, just as are the company I worked for, we brought a lot of our steel in rail cars because, again, the freight was everything's about saving a penny. Mm-hmm. doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're selling millions of pounds, it adds up. Mm-hmm. And then a, a fabricator will send a list over of a building that he's building. So what is a fabricator exactly? A fabricator is the one. We sell the raw steel after it's manufactured. We take, say, a beam that's 40 foot long, and uh, we sell it to a fabricator who then puts a base plate on it, cuts holes in it, cuts it to length, whatever the process he's got to do. Okay. Same with tubing. Plate, he may cut base plates out of, but now more than ever. And what is tubing exactly? Tubing is square tube, rectangular tube, small tube for uh, uh, furniture. It's tubing's a a big product. Mm -hmm. Okay. And does stuff go through like those those bigger tubes? Uh, You want to know how they make it? Yeah. It actually used to be done on a set of rollers, probably a block long, that took and started forming it. The rollers were set. And as they brought it around and squared it up, it would weld together. The, those mills could run at two to three miles an hour. The new modern mills, like the one I set up near Cheyenne, they bring it through a set of roll, one set of rolls, five foot long, that form it into an instant pipe, weld it, then go another 10 feet or so, go into another machine with a set of rolls the size of the, say, four-square quarter-wall tubing, and that, I, my words, crush it down to that four-square quarter, and it's perfect because you're crushing it instead of trying to form it okay. flat, and then they're cut off and bundled. It's, everything's automated. Nobody's sitting there touching it. So what a t- I hadn't even thought about all the creativity and innovation that has gone into this industry. Yep. So let's get back to the fabricators then. Uh, you know, there's different products that they might need. So what, what happens after that? They've ordered the steel ordered from you. the steel. It used to be that we covered everything and the mills rolled as stock, 40-footers, 50-footers, 60-footers. And that's kind of what the fabricators had to choose. Our companies brought in because somebody asked we started bringing in 35 45 55s that way we could give that fabricator that wanted a 42 foot we could give them a 45 foot instead of a 50 foot then over the years it evolved to where we put saws in and we would take their their want list and if they needed a 42 foot six we'd cut it 
42 foot six and we charge them for that process but that's all they were buying was the 42 foot six we brought beams in 60 65 foot lengths so and tubing in lot longer lengths so that we had good drops that we could resell that we didn't have to throw away because then there'd be no advantage to it and so that revolutionized the distributing business here in the Rocky Mountains. I'm sure that by now some other uh, distributors are doing it, but for many years it was just a couple of us that did it. And the people had the advantage here. It was both the, both the competitors that did it. Well, it sure seems to make a lot of sense. And, you know, sometimes, Bill, it's just somebody asks a question, what if? You know, sometimes there's some amazing things that come from just that question of what if. And so so how does this work exactly then? A, a building is being designed. Then do they go to the fabricator? The fabricator comes to the steel distributor? Or how does that work exactly? They design the building, the engineers and so on. Then architects and so on draw the building. Then those drawings are sent out for bids. And they have to do what they call takeoffs at the uh, fabricator. Uh, and then that's where the lists come from of the products that they need, because it may be tubing, maybe some angles, angle steel, maybe just flat steel. But it'll definitely have tubing and beam. And if, if you look at this new building going up at Bellevue, I-25, 16, 18 stories, that's a whole steel frame. Okay, is steel frame the best frame? Is it the only frame? We think it I'm is. I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, so I've always thought about, you know, we've heard in the Rust Belt the loss of, of jobs in the steel industry. And I guess I always thought it was because we were bringing in steel from other countries. But it sounds like it was at more... That, at that time, they had, they, they had an advantage bringing it in again. The, they'd get helped out ma- making steel, say, and... In Japan, and the, they'd get subsidized. Well, mm-hmm. it was hard for us to compete because the government doesn't pay the steel mills to make steel. But also, it, it, and I, I'm not going to get into it, but there was reasons why the steel mills went broke in Pittsburgh. There was a professor talking about better ideas. There was a professor that came up with Nucor. And what he did, he went out to all the small towns, like, again, Plymouth, Utah, outside of Salt Lake, uh, uh, Blytheville, Arkansas, 80 miles north of Memphis, Jewett, Texas, uh, and started these mills. And they could get the farm kids. They're into second, third generations because they all want to work there. They show up every day. There's no union problems mm-hmm. oh so that could have been one of the contributing I, factors I back in played golf with a guy that just ran a crane at the beam mill in Blytheville and this is 15 years ago and he'd made $92,000 that year with all his benefits wow and so that those are the, you know without getting into a, mm-hmm. I don't want to get into an argument sure. about what's right wrong but just that's kind that's of the facts. That, what again, happened. it got back to a better idea. Go out to a small farming town and put up a steel mill, and people will sh- show up and work every day, and they get paid more for the production, the amount of production, not just 
Right. Like some, like, that's what killed the males in the East. Okay. Um, we're getting close to out of time. It's been in the news quite a bit, this whole tariff thing with uh, President Trump, and, and it looks like he's going to be putting additional tariffs on Chinese steel and Mexican steel coming in. What's your thoughts about that, Bill? Obviously, you want to make it steel in America. We have the capacity in America to make all the steel that we need. It isn't like we can make 80% and have to import 20. We can make it all right here. The steel mills, and again, I've been out of it a while, but I think the tariffs, the steel mills are doing just fine. Now, they're not selling the amount of steel they want to sell, never do. But I think as far as uh, it's not... Somebody's going to build a 30-story building. They're going to build it, and a couple cents a pound or 10 cents a pound on steel isn't going to keep them. I, I think I heard at some point that when they put up a five-story building, only 10% of it is the cost of the steel. And Wow. <laughs> so it is as much as people think it is. Well, and, and to that point, you know, research that I'm doing is a lot of building uh, can actually, a lot of that can go to rules and regulations. So it's interesting that steel is just 5% of that. Uh, Bill, we are just about out of time. Bill Roth uh, and Jason McBride, Presidential Wealth yes. Management, introduced us. So thank you to Jason for that. Um, but what would be your final thought that you'd like to, to leave our listeners with? I, uh, I've been out of it two years. I go and visit some of my customers now and then, and they seem to all be doing very well here in the Rocky Mountain region. So keep your prices where people want to build their product, their buildings out of steel. Okay. Bill Roth, this has been such a delight. I have learned so much. I think producer Steve probably has as well. And it's just been a delight to have you in studio. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, and our quote for today is from Andrew Carnegie, the great steel man, and he said, A sunny disposition is worth more than fortune. Young people should know that it can be cultivated, that the mind, like the body, can be moved from the shade into the sunshine. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth justice and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you and God bless America.